It's time for school days. Hope for moms and dads of school-age kids. I tell parents, you're like a training wheel on a bike. Your job isn't to make the bike move. Your job is to keep the bike upright. Those of us who are the true educators, we really want to be given the opportunity to educate the whole child. We can get free college degrees based on all of the opportunities that are out here and available to our students. Oftentimes, as parents, I think we want to protect our kids, but I think one of the greatest gifts we can give them is allowing them to experience adversity. Yeah. Here's your host, Janita Bailey. Well, welcome to School Days, Hope for Moms and Dads of School-Aged Kids. I'm Danita Bailey. And I'm Jantel Jordan. Today we're going to be talking about the impact of stress and pressure on students. And co in the co-hosting chair with us today is Jantel Jordan. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Well, let me tell them just a little bit about you. Dr. Dan Jantel Jordan. Side yeah. okay. <laughs> is an associate psychologist postdoctoral fellow at Great Life Counseling Center in Addison, Texas, where she provides child and adolescent individual and individual couples and family therapy. She received her doctorate in clinical <coughs> psychology in 2018 from the Florida School of Professional Psychi Psychology. She completed an APA accredited internship at the University of Texas at Dallas Counseling Center. She has over 10 years of experience working in the mental health field, and she has worked in a variety of settings ranging from community mental health, juvenile drug court, child abuse centers, and public and private schools. So we're mm -hmm. so glad to have you here today. I'm glad to and be here. And it's nice to have a co-host again since David's been gone for a little while. <laughs> So thanks for sitting next to me. So this is a pretty important topic, huh? Yes, it is. So the information we'll share with you will not only help students, but parents will learn a lot about stress, and that'll be helpful to them as, as well. Yeah, we're all stressed. For teens, the most commonly reported sources of stress are school, 83%, getting into a good college or deciding what to do after high school, 69%, and financial concerns for their family, which is 65%. One in four kids are diagnosed with anxiety disorder before the, by the age of 18. So our summer intern, Maya Dabney, shout out to Maya, who is our uh, who is a high school sophomore, interviewed her friends to find out what they think about stress. So let's hear what they had to say. It can be different for everybody. For me personally, it has been me procrastinating sometimes and having to turn papers in and do them really quickly the night before and it's stressful because it's not your best work but you, time management really wasn't there. Parents sometimes don't understand that we do get stressed out sometimes and they'll say that we're not stressed, that we're just overreacting and that can cause more stress because it's like your parents don't understand so they're not really helping you and you're just kind of trying to get through it but you can't really do anything about it. I have at least three hours of homework each night, football practice, and other activities I do after school. After all of these things, I sometimes get very tired and it carries over to the next day after not getting enough sleep the night before. Along with this, my mom and teachers have certain standards and are constantly pushing me to do my best and make the best grades I can so that I can get into a good college. Okay, I personally take AP classes and pre-AP classes, which are a lot harder than the regular classes. and. A lot of times I can't go out and have fun and de-stress like they can because I have to work and study on what I'm doing. And even if I'm not studying, I have things out of school that I'm doing like extracurriculars. Um, what you do with stress, you have to be able to control it. And whatever you love, you have to use that outlet for stress, you know, make it your comfort zone to control stress. You know, stress can be a lot of different levels. You have to learn how to control it in order to get better. Before we go any further, let me just say that it does take a village. If you hear a great parenting tip or nugget of advice, share it with your parent friends. Facebook it, Instagram it, tweet it, link it in, and add the hashtag School Days Show and hashtag I Am School Days. And also, we really want you to be a part of the show. So if you have any questions or comments, give us a call at 214-431-5062. And if you're listening on Facebook Live, on our page at Noggin Foundation, then you can also type in some questions because we are watching you guys. So let's introduce our guest. Jantel, who do we have with us first? Okay, so first we have Stephanie Springer Threats. 
and she has seven years of experience as an elementary counselor and 13 years of experience as a high school counselor. She's currently a counselor at James Bowie High School in Arlington ISD. So Mrs. Threats holds a Bachelor of Science in English Education from Southern Arkansas University and a Master's of Arts in School Counseling from Louisiana Tech University. She's a member of Leadership Arlington, a nonprofit organization whose mission is focused on the development of the next generation of community leaders. Mrs. Threats is completing certification from Star Commonwealth as a certified clinical trauma practitioner and is also working towards certification as a trust-based relational intervention practitioner. So Mrs. Threats firmly believes that stressed brains can't learn and hopes to educate parents and teachers on strategies aimed at establishing felt safety for students. All right. Thanks for, so much for coming. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited. Oh, cool. Uh, with us also, we have Danielle Fitch. She's a professional school counselor at Carter Junior High in Arlington ISD. This school year marks her 22nd year in public education and her 23rd year in education overall. Danielle taught high school English for 19 years while a classroom teacher. She received her MA in reading and literacy and completed postgraduate work in education and administration as well as in school counseling. This is her fourth year in counseling. She has worked as a counselor at both the elementary and junior high levels. And in addition to working with children at school, she has four kids of her own. That's a lot. (laughs) I have three, and that's a lot. (laughs) One in elementary school, one in junior high, and two in high school. So both she and her husband, Aaron, are well-versed in juggling the organized chaos involved with supporting your children at all levels as they work their way through school. Yes, you are. Yes, and it is a juggle for sure. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, thank you guys for joining us. Now that we're all acquainted, let's just jump right in. So what are your thoughts about some of the comments that you heard from the teens that were interviewed? They sound familiar at all? Yes, Mm -hmm. yes, all very true. Um, I I was glad to hear one of the students notate the lack of sleep Mm -hmm. because I think lack of sleep is really, really overlooked. Um, as adults, we overlook it. We at kids overlook it. Um, especially teenagers. You know, teenagers are up all night. They're on their phones. Right. They're um, some are doing homework as they should, but they're up all night doing that, and their bodies are not getting enough sleep. And because of the lack of sleep, well, the body, the brain cannot focus, concentrate. Um, you're irritable. Okay, so how can you manage any external stressors if all of that is going on within your body? Mm-hmm. The body has to have rest. Right. And I think that I think that a lot of our teens, um, and it may be kind of self-induced, it comes from um, world expectations, parental expectations, mm-hmm. but the, the expectation that we must go, 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 do, 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 achieve, 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 all of the time Hmm. and if you're not doing that then you're not on a pathway to success Mm -hmm. you know i have students who will tell me they feel like you know i'm not involved in anything and we want them to be involved in extracurricular activities and sports and organizations Mm -hmm. because it helps create a well-rounded person but we want them to be able to have balance as well Mm -hmm. um so i was really glad to hear that i wrote that down I wrote that down. And if I could piggyback on that, I mean, I actually just read an article not too long ago um, in U.S. News and World Report by a social worker by the name of Katie Hurley, and she talks about this culture of busy that so many of our students and our families face, and this idea that families come to her sharing their stress, sharing their frustration. A lot of it is lack of sleep. And she actually has them take a look at what every member of that family has on their schedule, Mm -hmm. and then everyone agrees to mark one off because of that because whether it's society or school or themselves or their families everybody's laundry list of things that have to get done is so long that it prohibits that downtime that rest we need why in your opinion do you think we're doing that we are so over scheduled and it didn't you know when i was growing up you know i was involved in sports but it wasn't at the fast pace and with the amount of things that we're adding onto our plate. What's happened? I, I wish I had an answer to that. I do know that in terms of the sports, same thing. When I was growing up, we practiced once a week and we had a game. 
and that was it. Right. And even with, you know, we mentioned I have four children, even with my eight-year-old, he goes and he's involved in sports and he's practicing three days a week and a game. And that's mm-hmm. how their schedules are set up. And so when you do that with multiple children, multiple members of that family, you end up with a schedule that looks like nobody ever goes to bed. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I I played sports in middle school, high school, college, and definitely can remember I practice every single day. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we would practice before school mm-hmm. and yes. after school. Two days, yeah. Yeah, and so thinking about, like, if you're doing that, plus you have three hours of homework, mm-hmm. plus if you're working, which I did work part-time as well, you don't get a lot of sleep. Mm-hmm. What do you, are you seeing, because you see adults and children, so what are some of the, do you have any clue why we're overscheduling like this? Oh, yeah. Like, and when I was listening to the uh, students talk, it was interesting because I've lived in other countries before, and there definitely is a difference as far as, like, how much you're supposed to do in a day. Mm -hmm. And I had to learn, like, and train myself to realize it's okay just to have downtime. And one of the things with clients is asking about sleep because if basic needs are not being met, then you're not going to be able to be productive. Mm -hmm. And so we have to like sleep, eating, um, and then social support or like the things that we attack first Mm -hmm. and then figuring that out. And then we can go and address some of the other things. But sleep is a big thing. And especially like with my most high schoolers going into college, like prepping for college, and then the uh, students that are in college prepping for grad school, letting them know you can stay up all night and do all-nighters, and if you don't go to sleep, you won't retain that because right. your brain needs that time mm-hmm. to be able to sleep and memorize the stuff like, mm-hmm. and actually put it in memory. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times when they hear that, they're like, wait, you mean I actually have to go to sleep for this to work? I'm like, yes, yes. that's a big part of it. Right. We did a whole episode on just sleep and the importance of sleep, and I had two high school interns this summer and they talking to them was so eye-opening because you know my kids are younger my kids are 11 and under so you know they get plenty of sleep but um they just talked about how their their parents their kids I mean their kids not their kids their peers are not sleeping like it's not a thing Mm -hmm. it's not a big deal at all to stay Mm -hmm. up until two o'clock in the morning and, you know, like that guy said, he's got three three hours of homework after school. And then, um, you know, if you're an athlete, you may not be getting home till 10. And then you got three hours of homework after that. And we just don't think it's a, it's an important thing. Right. And they don't realize that you know, that it's it's vital. Mm-hmm. You're staying right. up all that time and then kind of wasting a lot of your time because you're going to lose some of that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And thinking about how competitive things are right mm-hmm. now in society. So as far as like academically, like you have to be able to study more, or get better grades in order to go to the next level. Whereas college used to be something that not everyone did. Now mm-hmm. everyone's doing college, which then means like graduate school is the mm-hmm. next thing that you have to go for. So it's like one level up every time. Yeah. Right. And I think the key um, word that you just mentioned is competitive. Mm-hmm. Our society is so, so competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think kids take that on yeah. in, in whatever area, you know, whether it's academic, sports, um, band. I was a band kid when I was in um, high school and I loved it. When I came to Texas and started at James Bowie High School, they're practicing rigorously. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just band, which is important because <laughs> I was a band person, right. but it's a band. Um, and they're good. They're good. But they're putting in a lot of time in yeah. their extracurricular. Um, a lot of things they're putting in a lot of time. And it comes from a desire to be successful, whatever you feel like that success is. But we make it external. Mm-hmm. If I achieve this, if I have this, then I am successful. So we're negating um, the sensory needs that our bodies have. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think at the elementary and junior high level, what I saw a lot, too, was the competition. That competitiveness wasn't necessarily the child's competitiveness. Oh, no. It was the parents competing against mm-hmm. other parents for mm-hmm. the best athlete and the mm-hmm. best catcher and the best runner and the best singer. And the kids, unfortunately, they feel that and they hear that and they know that. And so their drive becomes less an internal drive to better themselves than it is to make mom and dad proud or be the best for them because if i do that for them then maybe things at home will be better maybe things at home will be calmer so when you talk about that over scheduling 
a lot of it, at least at those levels, the younger levels, are these kids being scheduled because the parents are saying, I want my kid to be the best. Exactly. Therefore, at seven years old, they're going to play club. Therefore, at nine years old, they're going to have lessons four days a week in this particular instrument that one day they showed an interest in. And there's no allowing that child to be a child. So some of that is about is is we as parents are making that about ourselves mm -hmm. because we're wanting to, we're competing with other parents is what you said um there are some articles that i've read a couple that talked about they they interviewed kids to find out what they believe their parents valued most have you seen any of this mm -hmm. and uh kindness and being a good person was on there and then succeeding was on there and most of the time the kids were saying that more important than being kind and doing good things, my parents want me to succeed and Aww. to to do well and mm -hmm. to um, you know get good grades and things like that. Um, so we as parents, of course, want our children to succeed right. and to do their best and be them their best selves. So how do we balance encouraging them in that way with not stressing them out? Mm -hmm. Well, then you don't overschedule. Mm -hmm. You know, you just because I want my child to be the best in basketball does not mean that my child needs to go to basketball practices three, four days a week and games on the weekend. Maybe I can find a team that practices twice a week. Or there's an organization that really tries to meet parents' needs. They practice and play the game on the same day. Mm -hmm. So my I son and that. I did, did that, that for you. Yeah. I-9, is that what that <laughs> yeah. is? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's why we, we chose it. <laughs> we did that, yes, and it worked great. You know, then we, you know, he, out. my son outgrew that a little bit, mm -hmm. wanting to be more competitive. And so I'm still, we're still trying to have, trying to balance that. And then we need to listen to our children. It's okay. It's okay for a child to decide, you know, I'm not into this anymore. Mm-hmm that that's okay you know and and let what one child is doing right now may have totally nothing to do with what they're going to do later on in their lives right mm -hmm. so we want our children to be learn to be persistent we want them to have a certain stick to itness, mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't mean that they can never decide, mm -hmm. I'm not into this anymore. Right. I want to do this. Yeah. That's part of exploration, right? Right. You know, and so we need to allow them the freedom to do that. That mm -hmm. doesn't mean I'm going to spend a lot of time paying for violin, then we pay for this, then we pay for that. But we can have those conversations with our children and mm -hmm. give them choice. Yeah. It's okay for children to have choice in some things. Absolutely. With you saying that, like I thought about, like how do you know then or how would parents know when a child is not interested in something versus they're just being lazy and don't want to do That's it. That's a very good question. And, and so thinking about how to be supportive in that way, especially if you're putting money mm -hmm. into like extracurricular mm -hmm. activities or tutoring or whatever it may be. Because mm -hmm. sometimes it becomes a whim and they're like, oh, I know you spent $250 mm -hmm. on that, but True. I'm done. Mm -hmm. True. <laughs> A lot of that's got to be conversation. That goes back to that choice and letting them have a choice, letting them have a voice and being willing to sit down with your child and say, we signed you up for football to the tune of $185 or whatever the <laughs> Sounds case personal. Be. <laughs> and now you're saying you don't want it. And we understand that. And if that's something you truly don't want the next season, that's wonderful. But you did sign up and you've committed to this team that you're going to play with. Right. And so you are a part of a group now that's working towards success. So you're going to stay with that group. But, right. But after this, if this is not something you want to do, that's it. And I know that that's hard And there. I've, I've worked with some parents over the years that just said, well, well I'm just going to, he's not going to play anymore. If your child is struggling because there's an issue on the team, mm -hmm. I think that makes sense. If it's been, if it's attempted to have been addressed and it hasn't been, but I think there's also another line of it, which is teaching your children that sometimes you make a choice that isn't exactly what you want, but you stick to it till the mm -hmm. end. That's right. Mm -hmm. And then when you're done, you're done. Right. But it's not going to define you forever, and it doesn't define you at this moment. But you do have to stay committed to support right. the team that you signed up to be a part of. Right. Yeah. And not quit midstream. Exactly. Right. right. I agree. We do have a question from one of our Facebook fans here. 
He said, um, how do you know you're doing too much versus giving yourself permission to do too little, i.e. underachieve? Oh. Uh -oh. Mm. You how do you know them. you're doing too much versus giving yourself permission to, to underachieve? To underachieve. I think underachieve for me is kind of the sticking point in that question. Uh oh. It, and not in a bad, just in, in terms of understanding what the question is. Mm -hmm. Because I think that we can give ourselves permission to do enough. Mm hmm. But I think that just in the way I'm hearing it, and this may not have been its intent, but the way I'm hearing it is if you're giving yourself permission to underachieve, at some point that comes back to you and you start mm -hmm. to resent yourself for mm -hmm. not having given yourself the opportunity to succeed. But I think it's important to give ourselves the opportunity to say, this is enough. Kevin, if you're still listening, we might need a little clarification on yeah. your question for us to answer it. So I think what it is, it's saying like, trying to find that balance between doing too much and not doing enough. Like, how do you find that middle ground where it is enough? Like, this is a good balance. Well, he, he Kevin, Kevin, <laughs> Kevin, <laughs> Kevin, hi. Kevin needs to maybe assess how is he feeling, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay? How, how, whatever Kevin is doing, whatever you're doing, Kevin, how is this making you feel, okay? So if you've taken on task A, B, C, and D, okay? Take a minute to self-reflect, self-evaluate. Am I overly stressed? Am I not able to sleep? Am I not mm -hmm. eating? And is my anxiety, um, is that increasing with the task A, B, C, and D? Valid. If mm -hmm. I cut out tasks C and D for a week, whatever, how am I feeling then? That may be just a beginning point for you. Um, but I would really want to know how are you feeling? Mm -hmm. Okay, what's your emotional state? And then I, I am a little concerned about the um underachieve because like Danielle mentioned the word resentment okay uh, so underachieve is a negative term and so you may have to reevaluate and prioritize what is success to you mm -hmm. because just because you are not um, doing everything that everyone else is doing or doing task A through Z does not mean that you are underachieving Absolutely. so that may yeah. need to be defined some yeah. Yeah, right. definitely thinking that language is really important. And even thinking about like when children are communicating with their parents, how would, you, because of the power differentials, like how would you, or would you suggest like a child to be able to go to their parents and say, okay, I think I'm doing too much. Okay. I think Great the way question. you said it is perfect. Right. Mm -hmm. I really do. And, and as a parent, if a child were to come up to you, me and say that, then it's, Okay, let's talk about that. Let's mm -hmm. dig a little deeper and find out what you feel like is the too much point. What are the parts that you want to keep and what are the parts you don't? But I mm -hmm. think being that honest, and that goes back to, again, what Stephanie was saying about giving your child a voice and a choice is you have to be, as a parent, willing to hear that. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes as parents, we struggle with that because we see the potential and we see what they can accomplish and we know that we can manage our time and we forget that sometimes these bodies, whether they're 14 or seven or 18 even, they can't, they can't juggle time and manage it the way we can and nor should they have to. Mm -hmm. right. So I think being able to accept that as a parent that my child has come up to me and said, I'm doing too much, this is too much for me. And to be able to take the time to go in and investigate that is really important. And sometimes we as parents are not as open as we should be in those circumstances. And I would say that if there's any children listening, then that might be a great opportunity to talk to your school counselor mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. that and say, you know, I'm really feeling pressured and feeling stressed. And that's an opportunity for you guys to then reach out to the parents to so find, find a parent, find a, um, a trusted adult that could help talk with that. Definitely. I do want to back up a little bit. And I read an article about parents not knowing the symptoms of stress or equating some of the things that they're seeing chronically with their kids as being something that's coming from stress. So what are the symptoms? What should we be looking for? Oh, gosh. Um, somatic complaints, headaches, mm. digestive issues. Um, is your child sleeping too much or not getting enough mm -hmm. sleep? Um, aches and pains. You know, our bodies respond to what's going on with us emotionally. Mm -hmm. 
And so mm-hmm. a headache may not just be a simple mm-hmm. headache. Right. Okay. Um, some other things that you may want to look for are avoidance. You know, I heard one of the students mention procrastination. Mm-hmm. So we take it for granted that that's just what teens do. They all procrastinate. But procrastination can also simply be, I, I hate to say simply, but um, a sign of avoidance. Mm-hmm. You know, right. I'm so overwhelmed. Absolutely. I'm so stressed with this task. I'm just going to avoid it. Right. Yeah. Anger, too. If we're talking psychological yes. mm-hmm. symptoms of it. Um it's really easy to look at a tween or a teen who is angry and crying and emotional and chalk it up to they're a teenager. That's it. It's an adolescent. Mm-hmm. They'll get over it. They're yeah. having a moment. But a lot of times that is their reaction to the things that they can no longer mm-hmm. control or the things that they feel are out of their control. And really listening to the list that Stephanie gave physical symptoms. And then when you think about those psychological ones as well, they're no different than what adults do. Mm-hmm. We respond the same way to stress. We get angry, we get frustrated, we get yelled, we don't feel good. But it's hard to look at a child and see those symptoms for what they are. In exactly. Case. We look at them and they're like, and I actually had a student a couple of years ago who stomach aches. It was stomach aches all That's the time. A big one. And they went to the doctor and just, there was nothing wrong with her, but, but there was, was. because it wasn't in her stomach. Obviously it was in her heart and in her head. And it took a lot of conversation and a lot of love at home and at school for her to be okay after that. But really and truly it was just chalked up to, well, she's just not feeling good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What about, um, different things that we might see academically, like forgetting things. And that's Mm -hmm. not even just academic, forgetting where your backpack is. (laughs) (laughs) Can't find your shoes. Right. (laughs) Right. Any of those other things, Mm -hmm. a dip in grades. Mm -hmm. I know anecdotally, just from personal experience, as well as what I saw, even when I was teaching high school is that they tend to be a lot of times because of the procrastination, there tends to be a big dip in grades or a change in their grades. Mm -hmm. If you've got a student that's been, even if they're just pretty, even at whatever grade average they tend to get, any change in that is a sign that there's something bothering them and something going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what is the difference between stress and anxiety? Well, so stress is an external, usually brought on by an external factor. You know, we have positive stress and we have really bad negative stress as well. Positive mm-hmm. stress might be um, teenager getting ready for a date right mm-hmm. that's all exciting and i'm stressed and nervous but it's positive at the same time um first day of school my son changed schools this year and he was really really excited okay really excited but on the other hand i saw some behaviors um that also let me know that the body may not um, be totally handling the positive stress so he mm-hmm. was excited but i saw some other things um so Anxiety, though, is internal because Mm -hmm. it's a deep um, dread, apprehension, uh, fear of the future. So I might have some external stress or stress from an external factor. If I manage it well, well, it eases. Okay, Mm -hmm. my body comes back into balance. But if I don't manage that well or if I, I don't find that balance, I can go into anxiety where I'm constantly worried, Mm -hmm. constantly worried. So that's, um, to me, the difference between stress and then how that can move into anxiety. Yeah, I think that, like, that's how I explain it typically, like, Mm -hmm. when I'm working with children and, like, teens of, like, it's stress. And then if it goes untreated or anything like that, then it can increase the anxiety. Mm -hmm. And basically the basis of anxiety is fear. Mm -hmm. And so us figuring out what is the fear centered around. Mm-hmm. So what are kind of the long-term impacts of chronic stress? What are the impacts in general? But then, you know, is this something that can cause maybe health issues in the future? Definitely. That's absolutely the the health issues. There's um, the ACE study, and, and I know, I'm sure, I think you've heard about it, Stephanie. Mm-hmm. We had talked mm-hmm. about it before, and I'm sure yeah. you did too. Mm-hmm. There's a study about um childhood experiences um, and for the adverse childhood experiences. Mm-hmm. I was trying to remember what the A was. And they actually followed these children who had these experiences, these stressors in their lives, and it negatively impacted their health 
decades down the line, mm. whether it was heart disease or lung disease or whatever the case may be. There were several different areas that they showed this impact on them. It impacted their health and their life length was shorter mm. because of it as well. So it's it's not something that's a momentary, like we'll get through this at 11 and that's it. If it continues and it's not treated, if the tools aren't given, then it is something that carries over and can adversely affect as an adult, even when those stressors are gone. Okay. So well, thinking about like it being three different levels of stress. So like acute, which is like a brief stressor mm -hmm. and then something that may be like a brief episodic, so mm -hmm. a situational kind of stressor and then more chronic stress. Mm -hmm. So something that is more pervasive and long-term. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. That's great. How does stress d affect the developing brain? Oh. Because our brains develop until we're... 25? Tw well, it, they've extended <laughs> well, it, right? They did just extend it at 25, 26. Yeah, That's why the good. insurance yeah. changed, too. Uh -oh. So why people are able to stay on <laughs> yeah. their parents' insurance. <laughs> That's how they <laughs> that's how they justify everything. Your brain's not formed yeah. all the way. But yet. you think about a lot <laughs> of the hormones and the neurotransmitters and everything. It's like your brain is still developing at yeah. that mm -hmm. point. Like and so you're still trying to learn out like basically what your brain does is trying to figure out shortcuts mm -hmm. basically for everything. And so everything is cause and effect. So A plus B equals C. And so that's what it's doing all the time. And so in these stressful situations, if your brain starts to interpret, okay, well, if I go into a classroom or if I get a paper, then that's automatically stress. Like it's like quick automatic thoughts mm -hmm. that are coming up, which then can produce like the anxiety and things like that. Right. Oh, that's, yeah. Fa yeah. that's fascinating. I, I think it's, it's really important for parents, teachers, community members to not just see teenagers, tweens, um, our kids, just as the behavior. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so what you, what you asked was a really good question. So much happens within the brain. So if the brain perceives something as stress, whatever that is, specific to that person, because, you know, your experience and my experience over the same event can be different, right? But once the brain experiences something as a threat, Things change, you know, can change immediately. And if that brain is not bought, brought back into balance and it stays in this chronic state, well, then I'm not thinking anymore. Mm -hmm. I have no access yes. to that logical reasoning part That's of so my good. brain. Mm -hmm. I'm only reacting. Yes. I'm only reacting. I was at a workshop um, last year and I heard someone explain it like this and I, I loved it. So the uh, tra a trauma happens, let's say, um, and it's chronic. Let's say a child has gone through something chronic, abuse, neglect, whatever it is, but it's chronic. Well, um, you have a meerkat. So, you know, a meerkat um, is like a, a guard, you know, a little animal that looks like a mongoose. And it's like a guard. So, and this is w what it actually does. It watches out. It's always looking around and making sure that the other colony members can't eat or do whatever they're doing. You know, it's watching for the threat. And so that meerkat is constantly watching. And then you may have a tiger come out. Okay. So here's a tiger. So as soon as that tiger comes out, and what do, what do tigers do? They growl. They're angry. You know, that's how we perceive them. So... What flies away? The reasoning part of my brain, my owl, okay? Okay, so the owl is wise and thinking. That goes away, and that tiger is on the rampage. So when we have kids who walk into our buildings and they're angry, I can't take that personally mm -hmm. as Absolutely. an adult. So that means that I have to be self-aware, right? Mm -hmm. Because we're human, so it's easy for me to take it personally, right? But I have to be self-aware and I might have to say good morning or smile because I need to help that student bring their body, their brain back into some sense of balance. Mm -hmm. And it's relationships and connectedness that helps ease our stress, that helps bring us back into balance. You, No parent, no parent, no teacher is going to punish a child's autonomic nervous system into compliance, right? Mm -hmm. When Absolutely. we have stress, okay, what the brain kicks on, mm -hmm. right? It does. It is going to do what it is created to do to self-protect. You're not going to punish my brain into compliance if I'm experiencing chronic stress. I need strategies to help bring my brain Absolutely. back into balance. 
and parents need to implement the strategies at home, then we implement the strategies at school. If the strategies are implemented at school and then the child goes back home to basketball on this day, volleyball on this day, this on this day, you know, and there's no balance, well, that child's brain is still kind of in chaos. So what you're talking about, like, not to get too nerdy on you all, <laughs> so it. thinking about with the brain and the frontal lobe. So that's the part that is still developing, but mm -hmm. that's the executive functioning. So that's where the mm -hmm. decision making and like really piecing things together come. And for children, like teens and late adolescents, like in that period is what has changed now. That's not fully developed. So how as adults, we can sit and we can rationalize, we can reason, we can do all those things. Children are still developing that. Adolescents are still developing that part of their brain. So it's not fully set in place yet. So the frontal lobe, which would be like the front part. So they can't think. N no, they can think. No, no, Just I don't mean at all. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So their executive function, <laughs> so their, their reasoning and things like that. Yes. So more of the, you know, take a break like pause, things like that. And so that's what takes more practice and more training and learning. Right. So and it takes similar, some modeling. It's too. similar exactly. to that growth that we see exactly. when they're younger. Then. Mm -hmm. you know, that zero to five year block when they're babies. And we're so focused on making sure that they learn all the skills that they need to know at zero to five because there's all this research after five. They won't be able to learn it anymore. It's no different when they're adolescents. Then. Mm -hmm. There is a block of time where we can teach them these tools and show them the strategies that'll be effective. And then at some point, if they haven't learned them and we haven't taught them, there's not a lot of opportunity for them to be able to incorporate that into their day to day. So we have to just pause and reflect on what you just said, because that was genius. I don't use that word lightly. Either. <laughs> yeah. My husband likes to use that word and I'm like, that's not genius, yeah. but this was. Um, what you just said was that you know, we have this early stage when we're teaching them all of these skills because they're mm -hmm. babies and then they're toddlers and whatnot. We forget sometimes as parents because the teenage years and these preteen years, they can be so <laughs> rough on mm -hmm. everybody. And we yes. just want you to do what I said. But they're not, their brains aren't completely formed. And it's our responsibility to teach them the skills to cope and mm -hmm. to flourish and things like that just like we were when mm -hmm. we were teaching them to walk teaching them to say please and thank you we're still mm -hmm. doing that even though they're <laughs> preteens and teens but that was so good that it, that's our job right now when they're in this mm -hmm. the, when the stage to teach them how to deal with these stressors and i want to talk about that real quick i do want to say um that if you have any questions or comments for our guests, this is a great topic for you to call in and call in and, and chime in or ask questions. Um, our number is 214-431-5062. And we're also live on Facebook at Noggin Foundation. That's N-O-G-G-I-N. And you can type in your questions there. So what are the things that we can do to teach our kids to cope and ourselves to deal with stressors? Modeling. Well, you, mm -hmm. you mentioned it. So... It, as a child, I need to see my parent model self-care. I need to see my parent model relaxing. I need to see my parent laughing, okay? Create a home environment that is somewhat relaxing, mm -hmm. okay? Um, and, and even though we're experiencing a lot of our own stressors, our kids take that on, right? Mm -hmm. They do. They yeah. take that on. They care about us. And what hurts a parent hurts the child and affects the Absolutely. whole home. But as, a, as an adult, I'm more capable of managing my stress, okay? And that will help ease my child's stress as well. So I model that. Um, model conversating. It's good to sit down and talk with your child not just how's your day going but you know when a child does something that they shouldn't do you know you shouldn't have done this this is the consequence and let that be it i don't have to holler scream fuss nag because that's not modeling for that child how we handle conflict so i need to model how to handle conflict the other thing i always go back to that i really think is so horribly um neglected is the sensory needs. Our bodies have sensory needs to relax. Mindfulness is huge right now, mm -hmm. right? Let's talk about yeah. that yeah. for sure. Huge buzz term. And so in being mindful, it's 
in the moment, mm-hmm. letting the body experience what is here, what is now, not worrying about what I'm going to do tomorrow mm-hmm. or even at home, what it, right here and right now. What am I seeing, hearing, feeling? So that's part of mindfulness. I would love to see um, that practice within the classrooms, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and allow your children or teenagers time to play, get outside. Mm-hmm. You know, we know that kids are hooked on what now, video games a lot. <laughs> They do need to get outside. Constant video games has a horrible negative effect on on the brain. Encourage them to get outside, breathe fresh air, vitamin D from the sun. Those things are really, really important. Mm -hmm. That mindfulness goes back to the honesty, too. If we're going to teach ourselves ourselves first and then our children to be mindful, we've also got to be willing to be honest with ourselves and allow our kids to be honest because being mindful doesn't mean being happy. And actually, right. I ran I ran a mindfulness group at the elementary school that I was a counselor at, and it was I should say ran I facilitated. They kind of ran me, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but it was really interesting because a lot of the students who came in to do that, and we talked about being in the present, being in the moment, accepting where we are now. One of them, I mean, this is several years back, but one of them, I very distinctly remember sharing that that was the first time that she had been allowed to be angry. She wasn't allowed to be angry at home because what she was told is you have a house and you've got this Mm -hmm. and you've got this. Mm -hmm. So I can't be angry. And so we talked about it's not a matter of how you're feeling right now being bad. It's what you're doing with it. So let's be okay being angry. And then let's work on Mm -hmm. some things we can do to make the next moment better Mm -hmm. and to make the moment after that better. But it's okay to feel that way. And I think sometimes as adults, we are so busy just running, 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 or we don't allow ourselves to feel that when we see our children feeling or our students feeling, we can't allow that because it's not okay. But I think what you said before, though, Stephanie, about that behavior being attached to something that they're feeling inside, Mm -hmm. that is a huge thing, too, as being a mindful adult and working with these kids is we do have to realize that their behaviors are stemming from whatever is going on internally better for better or for worse and so if we get to the root of it then the behavior takes care of itself a lot of the time right yeah i really like that i think in in my work i know i i use a lot of mindfulness and like meditation Mm -hmm. and so with mindfulness just thinking about engaging the five senses Mm -hmm. like even doing mindful eating like because i think sometimes we just go and go and go but really taking a moment what do you smell? What do you see? What do you feel? What do you taste? Like really slowing things down. That's the hardest part, I think. And with us talking about stress is slowing down. Mm-hmm. Yes. With mindfulness and meditation, it's forcing yourself to slow down, mm-hmm. like ground yourself in the moment. And sometimes I think that there is this misconception that your brain has to be like completely empty. Like there can't be any <laughs> thoughts. And I tell people all the time, no, you're going to have thoughts. Your brain's right. going to go everywhere. It's just acknowledging, okay, I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. And then centering yourself even back to your breath. Right. That's so difficult for me. I am a multitasker. I'll watch a movie and be Facebooking and be answering emails and all of those things. But I do love to eat. So I would love <laughs> to do <laughs> mindful eating. <laughs> and so think about in multitasking, and there is research. There are, you can multitask, but thinking the percentage of like your productivity level yes. is mm-hmm. different across all the tasks. Yes. So it's not going to be a hundred percent to all those tasks. It may still be adequate enough. Mm-hmm. But it's not going to be the same percentage as if you were just focusing on one task. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. So teachers set the environment and the tone for the classroom. If the teacher is stressed out and worried, then the kids will be. How do schools encourage teacher self-care when it comes to stress? Ooh. We have um, at Bowie, one of the counselors is a uh, certified yoga instructor. Oh, yeah. Okay. And so she offers uh, yoga after Mm -hmm. school Mm -hmm. for the staff. Um, We also have um, 
she called it the Lotus Room. She changed it this year. I can't remember what it was, what it is, but we have a small room that she has set up beautifully. Like a relaxation. Very room. relaxing. Okay. Staff can go there mm-hmm. to relax. And we also um, schedule students who may need the benefit of that room and relaxing and just some mindfulness. Mm-hmm. We can schedule them to go in as well with um, the yoga instructor. Um, we have a wonderful principal who was also was, her wonderful uh, principal <laughs> just a few years ago. Just a few years ago. I can honestly say he is extremely personable. In being so personable, our staff seems so relaxed, mm-hmm. um, happy, you know. So it, relationships are so key. So he has built a culture of relationships on campus. Did you find the same? That's what I actually, I didn't work with Mr. Lozardo. He was there the year before that I got to Carter. But but I've I've heard about him. And I will say that uh, Claudia Herrera, who is my current principal at Carter, that is our drive. It is it is all about the relationships, mm-hmm. whether it's between and among the adults or between and among the adults to the students and the students to students because it's the positive relationships that drive the success of any school. So with like with res- with respect to the self care, our families come first, mm-hmm. yes. and that's supported. Yes. Our relationships come first. There's an open door policy. If there's ever mm-hmm. anything going on or need to talk or need a break there's no questions asked we can go ahead and do it um i think it's it's hard because our school days are so busy as educators i remember as a classroom teacher it was non-stop all day long so it's hard to remember to do that so it's wonderful when an administrative team supports you taking time for you mm-hmm. and for right. your family right and you know so the busyness of what we have to do day in and day out and what the teachers have to do and administrators that doesn't go away you know that's mm-hmm. there yep. And but because um, relationships is so stressed, everyone has a sense of feeling empowered yep. and valued um, within each department. I can see relationships, positive relationships are built. You know, mm-hmm. I have wonderful co-counselors. Um, we have a fabulous English teacher who did a workshop and really stressed um, relationships, building relationships and friendships with one another. That helps us. We need those connections and we need that belonging. And so do kids. Kids need that. And so moving away from teachers and thinking about you all as counselors. So how do school counselors help manage the mental health issues in the schools? And can and do you all diagnose? No, no, we leave that to you. Yes, yes. <laughs> we that know is. how to <laughs> You are not going to I think that, that I think sometimes that is a um, a misconception that a lot of parents or guardians may have about like if my child or goes to a counselor they're going to get diagnosed with something and so just you all explaining kind of what it is that you do as counselors you're absolutely right and that's actually something i was up against at the elementary schools there were a lot of parents elementary more so than junior high but a lot of parents were like no you are not to go see her Mm -hmm. ever, Mm -hmm. ever ever um, and so it was lots of conversation with parents and then just lots of being very verbal and very public about what does happen. So it's not a matter of diagnosing. It's not a matter of this is what you've got and this is how it can be treated. We do a lot of very brief therapy solution okay. focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's something that we can see as professionals is beyond the scope of what we can manage in a school day or even in the few minutes that we get to see our several hundred students because we do both of us have caseloads of 300 ish Mm -hmm. students then then we have resources upon resources that we can refer out to and lots of contacts in the community where if a student we really feel needs more than what we can offer we can absolutely get them in touch with them and get their parents involved and get their parents in touch with who they need to reach out to. Mm-hmm. And so is what is what a child says during a session with a counselor confidential? Is that like, and not just confidential, like as far as with their parents, but thinking about with teachers, administration, like, so do they feel like if I come in this space, then it's just between me and you, or do you all as like employees have to communicate that to other people? No, I think we we are very we are very good about sharing with our students. It's safe here, and I don't know. I know I've got several signs posted, and I share this with any student who comes in 
to to speak with me that whatever you say in here stays in here. Mm-hmm. I cannot share with anyone unless you're going to hurt yourself. Yes. Mm-hmm. Somebody's hurting you or you're going to hurt somebody else. But other than that, it's here. It's it's kind of like Las mm-hmm. Vegas. Um, but I do know that we we at least I know I have in the last couple of years faced a lot of challenges with the adults in the building because they want to know and not because they're being intrusive or they're being mean they they're concerned about their babies yeah and they want to make sure they're okay so that's kind of a fine line there with what we can and cannot share and so what i've pretty much done is said it's a blanket he or she is okay or this is the support we're going to need right right to help right and you know i let students know or i ask students i don't let them know i ask them is it okay for me to reach out to Mrs. Such and such, mm-hmm. and tell them what you need. Mm-hmm. Tell them what will help you within the classroom without divulging what's going on. Sometimes I get yes. Most times I get a yes. Uh, sometimes I have received a no. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't want anything mentioned, and I respect that. Yeah. So it's only if the child is going to hurt himself or someone else or someone's hurting the the student that we have to reach out. Mm-hmm. I do not want to end this episode without talking about study drugs. Mm -hmm. I listened to NPR and heard a lot about this. Mm -hmm. And then I've also talked to, again, my interns give me a whole lot of information (laughs) about what's going on in the high schools. And they talked about study drugs. So what is that? Well, there's, you know, stimulants, Mm -hmm. Adderall, Concerta, Ritalin, Vyvanse. Uh, I don't know if um, students still rely on the energy drinks, the monster drinks. Um, There is a organization, Tarrant County Challenge. You heard of that? Mm -hmm. Tarrant County. So, and they partner with the district and every other year they do a survey. Um, And it's a random survey. So it's seventh graders, 10th graders, 12th graders across the district. And what they're trying to assess is drug usage. Um, I think around maybe 4.9% of seniors across the district, not every senior randomly surveyed, said that they had um, used some prescription drugs. That weren't theirs. That that were not theirs at someone's house. Um, Maybe around 2.5% of seventh graders said the same thing. So, yes, you know, kids are using those things to, you know, get the feeling that they want to get internally um, to stay up and study Mm -hmm. and and not sleep so they can get things accomplished. Um, And we have on our campus uh, a drug interventionist. Um, and he works with students whom we and administrators refer to him on drugs and alcohol. So my interns were telling me that it is rampant in schools, and that's mm-hmm. not, not across the board and may not be in your school, but they were saying that it is not a big deal at all that kids are either taking, offering my Adderall or my Ritalin, mm-hmm. whatever my ADHD drug, or they're selling mm-hmm. them. Um, re- pretty regularly so that they can do what you're talking about, stay up late, or so that they can focus better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. it's So have you seen that as being a, a an issue, either in your school or in schools that you know people that work in? I would say at the level that I'm at, at junior high, that oh, is not school. something. That's not yeah. something I've heard about frequently. I have heard it, but but I have heard it more frequently from the students I know who attend High school, high school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not just in our district. I'll go ahead. Just let me clarify. Mm-hmm. Not just in Arlington right. and other districts as well. Right. But it's not something, you know, going back that study is really interesting. I would like to hear, I would like mm-hmm. to find out more about that because my guess would be that if you control for the fact that it's based on self-report, that there's probably more kids. Oh, there are. And, it, and it wasn't, you know, every right seventh grader, 10th grader and 12th grader. But you're right. I mean, they don't, it's, they don't consider it a big deal because it's so frequently prescribed and it's so Mm -hmm. frequently used and even students that have never had it in their household for any reason they know what it is Mm -hmm. and they know what it does and Mm -hmm. it's just sure or they're taking Mm -hmm. their parents Mm -hmm. um prescriptions and selling them on i would say the black market but it's not even the black market it's just (laughs) right out in the open and what i did not realize and i think a lot of kids don't realize is that it's illegal yeah you can oh, go yes. to jail mm-hmm. for oh, this. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And actually, um, these types of drugs are considered Schedule Two controlled substances. Maybe you can probably talk more yeah. to that. So thinking about, they are a stimulant. And so mm-hmm. a lot of the chemical makeup of the drugs, like so a lot of the 
um, prescriptions that are used for ADHD, ADD, things like that, are actually would be this equivalent to like meth. Mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. heroin, okay. like the way that they react in your brain. So thinking about when you look at the chemical composition of it, so if you looked at it, it would be different, but how the receptors in your brain perceive it is the same. It gives you that same kind of euphoria, that same kind of high. Mm-hmm. And addiction. Yes. Yeah. So thinking about the misuse part, and I think that that's something that a lot of people don't understand, especially children. It's like, oh, well, the doctor prescribes it, so it can't be that bad. Exactly. And them not really realizing, like, okay, the doctor prescribes it, but it's supposed to be used as the doctor prescribed right. for whatever the the problem, the presenting problem is, right. and not just sharing. Like, yes, I tell people all the time, because this goes on even college. Mm-hmm. This goes on to adults in different mm-hmm. professions and thinking of things like that. So thinking about everybody could benefit probably from a stimulant, like to be more productive. But that doesn't mean that everybody needs a right. stimulant. Right. So thinking about, and so some of that is like the overdoing like in what we were talking about earlier of like pushing students to do more and do more mm-hmm. and do more and so if someone feels like okay well this person next to me is able to do all this stuff in two hours and I'm not able to well maybe I just need a little boost and I know somebody else has Adderall or has mm-hmm. Vyvanse or has Ritalin okay I'll take that so that I can keep up with you yeah and you could already be taking something exactly and that, that does not mix yes. well with no. and, and that's something else even with i'm glad you brought up caffeine because caffeine is another thing that is mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. actually diagnose substances like that's one of the things that can be misused and not knowing the long-term impact that those things can have on your organs so like your liver your heart mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. like different uh, parts of your body like that. And I think a lot of people don't think long-term no, use. No, especially teenagers. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And thinking right. about mixing caffeine plus like a stimulant and God, what that does mm-hmm. to your God heart. God forbid Red Bull plus, <laughs> right. plus stimulant right. or something right. like that. And actually, depending on the amount that you're caught with, if you're caught at school, or you're caught on the street, you can face between one and mm-hmm. 20 years, 20 mm-hmm. years in prison and fines up to $10,000. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's it's it is a thing, even though they, right. they don't realize it. It can be very serious, right? Mm-hmm. That is, and even right. if it doesn't legally go that far, I know that there's um, there's a student code of conduct in any district. That is something that those students, and I've I've seen this happen over the years. They're surprised that they receive an alternative education place, but it's mm-hmm. a prescription. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why it's a problem, but it is, but because of what it is. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there's some, there's some major ramifications for having that on campus as well. In addition to whatever consequences there are legally. Right. And the biggest one is you could die. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You could die. It's not worth it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not worth it. Man, there are so many more things I wanted to get into. <laughs> um, <laughs> we just are completely out of time. But thank you guys, all three of you, so much for joining us. This was a great episode. We will probably have to do another one. We didn't talk <laughs> about <laughs> we didn't talk about social media. All it yeah, we've done an episode on, on social media, but social media causing stress oh, and yes. anxiety. Oh yeah. And oh, yeah. bullying and there's just so many other things we could have talked about, but alas we only have one hour. So um thanks again <laughs> for the great thank conversation. You. No, thank, thank you for you. having us. Yeah. We always want to talk about at the end here a little bit that's going on with um <clears throat> Noggin Educational Foundation. So save the date for 9-19-19. That's North Texas Giving Day, and it's an 18-hour online giving event designed to empower every person to give back to their community by supporting North Texas nonprofits that they care about. So each year, Noggin receives support from cities all over the U.S., and because of our show, thankfully, we have listeners from all over the globe. So we use this money collected on North Texas Giving Day to fund our free tutoring program. This year, we, w- we have already been able to give to 13 students because of North Texas Giving Day last year. And we already have so many more students that are already on the waiting room. So we want to make a r- waiting room, waiting <laughs> list. <laughs> They're in the waiting room for tutoring. Um, so we want to make room for so many more. This year, we need 334 people to give just $30. So what we'll do is we'll keep you posted on our progress and you can actually start scheduling your giving 
for North Texas Giving Day on September 9th. And North Texas Giving Day is actually the 19th, and that's my birthday. Oh. No way. It's mine, too. Is oh, it? Wow. No <laughs> way. That's awesome. We'll have to celebrate together Absolutely. somehow. <laughs> <laughs> I'll mention this more as we get closer, and details will be on our website, of course. Just putting a little bug in your ear. I also wanted to mention that it's the beginning of school. So this is a great time to start goal setting with your child. We have our smart goals and growth mindset toolkit, which is a free download. And it's on our website as uh, schooldaystoshow.com under resources. Next week, we're going to play one of our best of school days shows. Since since it's the beginning of the school year, many parents are setting up ARDS at school to put in place or revise their child's IEP or 504 plan. So next week, join us for the replay of one of our first shows, How to Obtain Services and Accommodations at School. Our guests were behavioral therapist Rondi Allen and Suzanne Scott, who heads the, educa- the special education department at a high school in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. So you're going to want to make sure that your parent friends watch that next week as especially if you're working on um, revising your 504 or your IEP. As always, head to our website, schooldaysshow.com, for more information. And remember, you don't ever have to miss a show. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, and pretty much anywhere that you listen to your favorite podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Noggin Foundation. That's N-O-G-G-I-N. And do you, YouTube, you can find episodes of School Days and other videos featuring the fun educational programs that we offer with Noggin on our YouTube channel. So search for Noggin Educational Foundation. And last but not least, we, we always want to say at the end that David and I are parenting by grace. We depend on God to give us the wisdom and strength we need to raise our kids into flourishing adults. And if you would like to know more about that, please feel free to email me at info at schooldazedshow.com. Have a great week. School Dazed is sponsored by Noggin Educational Foundation. At Noggin, we provide free educational resources to students from low-income families and support to their parents like the preceding broadcast. School Days is made possible by the generosity of listeners just like you. Please consider donating to Noggin at Noggin, N-O-G-G-I-N, foundation.org.